Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys. I am Scott. And I'm David. And this is episode 25? 25, 25. Brother. We've made it to 25. We have. We have. It has been fun to do. We're looking forward to the next 25 of these. And we will probably still be in the same book <laughs> that we are currently in. Yep. We are reading together Richard Baxter's The Reformed Pastor and talking about it a little section at a time. And um, uh, just to catch us up to where we've been, we have just been walking through a chap- the, the, the chapter that was talking about the, um, the different groups to whom we're reaching. It's basically the work of ministry. The, the oversight of the flock is the name of the chapter. And, uh, and we've been working through how to, how to oversee the flock. And first, Really, what Baxter seems to have done in the whole first part of the chapter is to have defined for us what the flock is, who the flock is, if you will. And now we get to start in section two, where we'll begin to talk about, well, what does it look like to shepherd, to oversee this flock? And so David has the distinct honor of starting us off in section two, subsection one of (laughs) chapter two. two. Of Richard Baxter's Reformed Pastor. Yep. The manner of this oversight. Having thus considered the nature of this oversight, we shall next speak of the manner, not of each part distinctly, lest we be tedious, but of the whole in general. The ministerial work must be carried on purely for God and the salvation of souls, not for any private ends of our own. A wrong end makes all the work bad as from us, how good soever it may be in its own nature. It is not serving God but ourselves. If we do it not for God but for ourselves, they who engage in this as a common work to make a trade of it for their worldly livelihood will find that they have chosen a bad trade though a good employment. Mm. Self-denial is of absolute necessity in every Christian, but it is doubly necessary in a minister, as without it he cannot do God and honor an hour's faithful service. Hard studies, much knowledge, and excellent preaching, if the ends be not right, is but more glorious hypocritical sinning. The saying of Bernard is commonly known. Some desire to know merely for the sake of knowing, and that is shameful curiosity. Some desire to know that they may sell their knowledge, and that too is shameful. Some desire to know for reputation's sake, and that is shameful vanity. But there are some who desire to know that they may edify others, and that is praiseworthy. And there are some who desire to know that they themselves may be edified, and that is wise. Oh, man. Okay, so I think this is probably one of my favorite sections of the book that we've done so far. So here's what Baxter is saying. The, 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 the only proper motivation for being called to pastoral ministry is God. Yeah. I mean, that, that's kind of it, That's right? kind of it, yeah. I, but, but I don't think we say that enough. I feel like we've created a culture where calling to ministry, we define calling to ministry for young men by, 
I want to be a pastor. And and want is okay thing. Like it's good to want to be a pastor. I'm not yeah. saying that it, that it isn't, but that is not going to sustain you. Like literally when everyone hates you and people are consistently complaining because you're bringing the word to them and when you're dealing with major conflict, you just wanting to be a pastor will fade very quickly. It's kind of like getting married in that if the only reason that you're getting married to someone is because you, quote unquote, want to get married, it's just not going to last. Like it's got to be built on a deeper foundation that in, in the marriage illustration, the foundation is is a love, not just especially Christian marriage, a love not just for one another but a love for this picture that is the clearest picture the world has of how much Jesus loves the church. Uh, th- that motivates you. That drives you. That leads you to self-sacrifice. And it leads you to, uh, to, to, to the edification of the other person, even when you don't like how they squeeze the toothpaste out of the tube, right? But in, in ministry, it's, it's very much the same. The desire to glorify the Lord is the, must be the primary motivation for ministry. So I, I really love, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he talks about if, if you've, if this is simply a trade for your livelihood, you have chosen a bad trade. It will. Yes. You know, we, <laughs> I mean, Scott, you and I have had this conversation before. People don't go into the ministry to make tons of money. Correct. That's not, that's not why you do it. That is. And, and yes, and it will prove itself out to not be a good source of that kind of satisfaction just truth i mean well and in our context the way the way we convictionally lead and believe churches should be led is with the reality that not all of our not all of our pastors are going to be paid and not all of them are going to be paid and not actually none of them are being paid (laughs) enough i mean but all of us are co-vocational and there's a there's a reality there that that we believe that that's probably a, a good thing. It's good for us to have a, a trade. It's good for us to have other work. And it's none of us did this for the money. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're looking at ministry going, I'm going to do this for the money, man, you, you picked the wrong thing. Yeah. There are many other things. Yeah. There are many other avenues yeah, and I to feel do like, for the money. And I feel like Baxter has, has said that in some manner or the other mm-hmm. all throughout the book, but this is just so direct. Right. Yeah. You know, self-denial is of absolute necessity in every Christian, but it is doubly necessary in a minister. As without it, he cannot do God an hour's faithful service. I love that. Yeah. 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 I love the quote at the end. Some desire to know merely for the sake of knowing. Yeah. And that's not that's not right. That's not good. Some desire to know so they can sell what they know. That's not good. either. Also bad. Some desire to know just so that they can have a reputation for knowing. Bad. For being the person who knows these things, not good. Shameful vanity. Shameful says. vanity. Yep. But he's, he identifies two reasons to desire to know. Yeah. He says, if, if you desire to know to edify others, mm. that's praiseworthy. If you desire to know that you yourself can be edified, that's wise. And what's interesting is that one of those will almost always inevitably flow into the other one, right? Uh-huh. Like, if I'm. If I'm desiring to grow, so sermon preparation is where this is most clear, or teaching prep, if you're thinking about this as a layperson, right? So my sermon preparation must be first so that I will be so deeply in love with the text that I'm preaching that the content of that text overflows out of me into the congregation who then falls in love with the same text that I'm in love with. Like that's the goal of preaching is to to put forth the beauty of Christ as given through the Holy Word of God 
so that the people will see what I can see. Like I'm, you're constantly thinking, how can I help people to see what I'm seeing in this text? Like, you know, we're, we're in Romans three. And so I spent the better part of yesterday and today in two clauses in Romans chapter three, verse 23, two clauses. That's six Greek words. That's like seven English words, right? Why do you do that? Because I want you to see what I'm seeing when I see that, right? But if I'm not first seeking for my own edification, mm. then it's, it's much harder for me to communicate that to you. Like if this has not done something in my life first, it's much harder to get it to do something in yours. And, and so I love that. There's wisdom and, 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 the, and the two things go hand in hand. If I'm seeking to study the scriptures so that I am edified then I will in turn then use the scriptures to edify others, mm. right? These two things are connected. So just, I love that section. I, yeah. We said more about this section than Baxter said. About <laughs> That's fair. So, yeah. Well, let's continue on. So point two, the ministerial work must be carried on diligently and laboriously as being of such unspeakable consequence to ourselves and others. We are seeking to uphold the world, to save it from the curse of God, to perfect the creation, to attain the ends of Christ's death, to save ourselves and others from damnation, to overcome the devil, and to demolish his kingdom, to set up the kingdom of Christ, and to attain and help others to the kingdom of glory. And are these works to be done with a careless mind or a lazy hand? Mm. Oh, see then that this work be done with all your might. Study hard, for the well is deep, and our brains are shallow. Amen. And as Cassiodorus, Cassiodorus says, here the common level of knowledge is not to be the limit. Here, a true ambition is demonstrated. The more a deep knowledge is sought after, the greater the honor in attaining it. Mm. But especially be laborious in the practice and exercise of your knowledge. Let Paul's words ring continually in your ears. Necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Ever think with yourselves what lieth upon your hands. If I do not bestir myself, Satan may prevail, and the people everlastingly perish, and their blood be required at my hand. By avoiding labor and suffering, I shall draw on myself a thousand times more than I avoid. Whereas by present diligence, I shall prepare for future blessings. No man was ever a loser by God. Mm. Okay, so don't be lazy. <laughs> what is the what is the manner in which the oversight of the flock is carried out? Not not lazy. Lazy. Very diligent. Yeah, that that is. You want to talk about it in, the, in my mind that which would immediately disqualify a man from ministry is laziness. And and the sad part about it is ministry can be an easy place for lazy people to hide. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a missionary say that one time. I was talking about missions, and he said, and it stuck with me, because it's not just true of missionaries. It's true of, of many professions, right? But he said, missions is the easiest place in the world to hide, because you can go, you can be a missionary in a foreign country and go to a coffee shop, buy yourself a cup of coffee, play on your phone for eight, 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 hour, eight hours in the day and call it cultural engagement. Hmm. And nobody's going to ask you questions, 
because you're a missionary in, in, a, in a mission field, right? We as pastors can be tempted to do the same thing. And I have known pastors who have been prone to do the same thing. And what I love about it is Baxter doesn't just warn that you shouldn't do it. He tells us the consequence of, of doing it, right? Like, first off, do you get it? Yeah, it's like, it's like a whole half paragraph on, do you actually get how serious this is? Yeah. Do you understand what you're trying to do here? Yeah. I mean, like, this is the most important job in the world. If you think about ministry biblically, being a pastor is the most important job in the world. I had this conversation with someone before who argued that being a surgeon was more important. And I said, well, if a surgeon fails to do their job accurately, what's the worst that can happen? The body dies. But what happens to the soul? Right? Like, they're not responsible for soul work. Our work lingers for eternity. eternity. And it matters. It really, really matters. And so the question, and are these works to be done with a careless mind or lazy <laughs> hand? You know, like I think as in ministry, I think about how much more I know about the Bible now than I did when I started working as a pastor. And it is stunning because when I started serving as a pastor, I thought I knew a lot about the Bible. I can, I can, I can, I'm right there with you, brother. Because, and I don't, I don't want to talk bad about seminaries, but seminaries convince you mm. that you know a lot about the Bible. If you got that degree that they hand out. Yeah, and the you. best thing that a seminary or any sort of degree can do is to help you learn a whole lot about a little bit. Mm -hmm. But pastoral ministry demands that you know a lot about a lot. Mm -hmm. And there's really no easy way to to learn that stuff, David. I mean, you just got to, it's, it's getting in the mud and putting your hand in the plow and getting to work. And if you are careless and lazy, you just won't go anywhere. And so, yeah. Okay. This is my second favorite section we've done so far, <laughs> but it's a very close number two. Very close. All right. I'm encouraged by this stuff. Let's, let's go to, let's hit number three. We'll go a little long today. Let's hit it. The ministerial work must be carried on prudently and orderly. Milk must go before strong meat. The foundation must be laid before we attempt to raise the superstructure. Children must not be dealt with as men of full stature. Men must be brought into a state of grace before we can expect from them the works of grace. The work of conversion and repentance from dead works and faith in Christ must, first, must be first and frequently and thoroughly taught. We must not ordinarily go beyond the capacities of our people, nor teach them the perfection that, ha that have not learned the first principles of religion. For as Gregory of Nicaea saith, we teach not infants the deep precepts of science, but first letters and then mm. syllables, etc. Mm. So the guides of the church do first propound to their hearers certain documents, which are as the elements, and so by degrees do open to them the more perfect and mysterious matters. Therefore, did the church take so much pains with their catechism? Cate catechumens. Catechumens. Before they baptized them and would not lay unpolished stones into the building. Hmm. Mm. That's good. So figure out what comes first. Yeah. Right? Do but, first things first. Yeah. And part of this is, is having the ability to rightly evaluate from a spiritual perspective, the maturity of the people that you're leading, yeah. which is which really requires a, an ability to, to first evaluate your own spiritual maturity, right? Yeah. And then it, it flows from there. I'm sorry, what were you saying? I was just going to comment on how difficult that is. It is. Like, it is not easy to evaluate no. 
you know that where your flock is yeah. in maturity. Which is which is why the beginning of every mm-hmm. single year that I have served here, every single year, the first sermon of the year is on spiritual maturity and knowing how do I know if I'm growing in Christ? How do I know if I'm maturing in Christ? And I think that most people desire to be mature in Christ. I think that there are a good many people who believe that they are mature in Christ. I'm, I feel like there are far fewer people who can accurately evaluate mm. whether they are mature in Christ. And, and the ironic part is part of being mature in Christ is being able to accurately evaluate where you are in terms of maturity. Yeah, so so I, that that is really helpful. Okay, so the word catechumens reminds me of a of a thing that we do often here, which is ding. Oh, and now it's time <laughs> for the Puritan word, word of the day. Thing. This one, this one is a word that I know. It's the oh, first Puritan word of the oh. day that I actually know what it means. And the word is catechumen. Catechumen. Okay, a catechumen is a person who has gone through what is called a catechism. Now we are Baptist. We don't catechize very often, but what a catechism is, is a series of questions and answers that generally speaking throughout church history, that's what you taught your children. So um, there there are a couple of different catechisms that have been used throughout church history. There's a pretty modern one now, but I don't have permission to say the name, so I probably shouldn't. Mm. And so there are several different ways you can do this, but a catechism gives you an orderly fashion to teach your children um, about the Bible, theology, doctrine. And so that word catechumen, when he says this, is intended to to talk about those who were being catechized. And so he says in this sentence, therefore, did the church take so much pains with their catechumens before they baptized them? In other words, what he's saying is the regular practice of the church throughout church history up to the point of Baxter was to catechize children to be sure that they understood the scriptures, that they understood some doctrines and theologies that were considered to be the essentials of the Christian faith, and then they were baptized. Mm. I believe that our churches would be much healthier mm. if this were still the common practice. Mm. However, however, it is not. And so that is the Puritan word of the day. Ding! Oh, nicely done, David. Very good. So there you go. So on that note, this is fun, but we've already done three sections, and you're probably <laughs> at work by now. So... Yeah. Okay. This I like this section. The, the, it, the last section was good, but man, it was heavy. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, the whole church super... discipline section, you could feel the weight of it. I mm-hmm. love this. This has been really helpful and instructive. I believe. Yeah. I think it's more encouraging than I agree than the previous section was, That's which a good I'm, description. I'm grateful for. Well, an episode twenty-five is a fitting episode for some encouraging words. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you all for listening. We're thankful that you are sticking it out with us as we work through this together. Uh, And we will see you or we'll, we'll talk again in episode 26. Goodbye.